Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast is the Reverend Samuel Mugisha. He is a Doctor of Ministry student here at Beeson Divinity School from the country of Rwanda in Africa. Sam, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. We're delighted to have you. Now, in the chapel, the Hodges Chapel, beautiful Hodges Chapel of Beeson Divinity School, there are statues of six 20th century Christian martyrs one from each of the inhabited continents on earth. The one from Africa is Yanani Luom. Tell us about your relationship to Archbishop Yanani Luom. Uh, Archbishop, uh, actually said Janan Luom. He was the Archbishop of Uganda from 19, uh, I think, 71 to 77 when he was killed by the president then who was Idi Amin. I came to know that family through my dad because we were neighbors on Namirembe Cathedral. Uh, my dad, in Kampala. Yeah. In Kampala. My dad has served the cathedral from, from 1953 until 2013 when he retired. So we were born and raised on that hill. And I know the family personally well. I know all of them. I know their their mother Mary, and their last born Amos was my friend from primary school through university. So we've really been so close. Now you know when we dedicated that uh, statue of Luom, we had Archbishop Henry Luca Rambi from Uganda who came and gave a blessing, a consecration of that statue. And now to have you here in our midst, you who knew Johnny Luam, who knew Henry Luca Rambi also, uh, as I say to you, it's a kind of apostolic succession. I mean, these are great figures of faith, and you represent that tradition yourself in your own commitment to the church and to ministry and to service. Now, between the time you were born in Kampala and today is the great period of the Rwandan genocide of 1994. Tell us a little bit about what that was and your experience through it. Well, uh, we were born in Uganda as children of, of a former refugee. And we, as children, really wished to be home, but we never knew why we were in Uganda. And our parents didn't want to tell us why they had come into Uganda as refugees because they didn't want us to grow up without bitterness because uh, there was this, there were killings in 1959 which forced so many people out of Rwanda into Tanzania, into Kenya, into Burundi and Congo. So we, uh, we grew up knowing that we were Rwandans because we were given Rwandan names my name is Mujisha Mujiraneza. Uh, that's a name which nobody, some people can't pronounce. Uh, so we grew up knowing we were Rwandans. So in 1994, uh, there was this big genocide in Rwanda which happened. It had been really building up for, for more than 30 years. That's why people had run out of the country. So when I 
had that I could go home after the genocide. I went home. I had just finished seminary. Uh, I had been in seminary. Then I went back home and uh, I started serving with everybody else. But uh, that time in Rwanda, it was really, the country was in ashes. There was, there was really nothing. There was no electricity, no, you can, you can imagine a country that has come out of war. No food, no hospital, no water, no, water, no yeah. shops. Mm-hmm. Everybody had become a refugee. It was, I mean, it was really terrible. Time of great devastation. Now, I want to ask you about a little more about that genocide and the violence because uh, wh- what, what causes this to happen? Uh, very often we, we hear sometimes there are Christians who are killing Christians in this genocide. What are the roots of it? Uh, I I really think the roots of genocide is, first of all, I'd say it is sin. Mm. Uh, it is hatred that grows from one level to a high level. Divisions among people, greed and desire to be very important more than the other. And then finally you forget about even where you started and you just want to finish people away. So for Rwanda, I think it came as a, as a result of colonial uh, wish to divide the Rwandans and manage them. Mm. Because Rwanda had a king and when they saw that it would be hard for, for, to rule people with a king, they had to take the king away and bring democracy and get the majority to be the people to run the country and then the colonial powers would connect in. Mm. So what they did was take off all the chiefs and divide the people, send some people out of the country and have a democracy. And they, they looked like they had really worked on it. But just like any other scene, it was brewing under there. Mm-hmm. You really can't build something good over scene. It yeah. blows up finally. So... Finally, after many years, the genocide comes. Everybody kills each other. It was not just killing the Tutsi people, but even the Hutu people killed themselves. Mm. This shows you that sin does not kill others, but also kills you, Mm. the sinner, finally. There's a text in the book of James, where do wars and violence and fighting come from? Do they not come from within you, from the the desires that war with one another. So you, you're you saying in some ways this this is a deeply rooted human problem yes, yes. that uh, came to uh, the surface in a horrible historical situation in Rwanda that left so many hundreds and thousands of people who are losing their lives. Yes. I think what made it possible in our country is that the people who are supposed to speak out never spoke out. Hmm. I mean, that can happen anywhere. If you have a fire alarm and sprinklers and all that, and they smoke and they don't work, I mean, your house is going to blow up into flames. I think the Lord has called us as Christians to be the alarm, Hmm. to be prophets, to speak out, to say this is wrong. Hmm. And this is so funny that I've been thinking about, you know, here in America, you have these 
sprinklers and fire alarms. Do you know what is funny that when your house burns down, it burns with your sprinklers and your fire alarms? I think maybe as Christians we should also die within, mm-hmm. just like Luwum did. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to do the job, then you're going to do it. Yeah. And you're going to go with it. Maybe that's why Christ had to die. Yeah. It is amazing. It is amazing. When when I think about that, I go I go deep, but I see I see that we must stand and speak when we must speak. In Rwanda, we didn't speak and that's what happened. You know, we're studying here at Beeson Divinity School this fall the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a very different setting, a different continent. Uh but this idea that uh it takes courage sometimes to speak out. Easier just to go along, to be silent, uh, to be complicit in evil rather than to act with courage and commitment and great risk sometimes to speak out, as Bonhoeffer did, as John Luam did in his country. Uh, t- talk a little bit about your going back to Rwanda now in in the light of uh, this horrible genocide we've just been describing and you began a ministry there that continues to this day. Say a little bit about how there are some hope in the midst of a great destruction. Yeah. Uh, I think I need to do a correction here. When I went to Rwanda, I went back in 94. Uh, I had just finished my mechanical engineering degree. I went to seminary after coming into Rwanda, and uh, somehow I felt like I was losing my Christianity. I was asking God so many questions after the genocide. I said, God, how could you do this? How could a country like Rwanda lose such people? And I actually took a decision never to go back to church. Mm. The whole of 94, I didn't go to any church. You had a crisis of faith. Yes. And in 95, I said, well, I can't live like this. So I went to visit a Catholic church. And one one thing I remember about it is that we went for Holy Communion and I was not given wine and I took the, I took that as an offense. I think I was angry. The mm. point is I was angry with God, so I was angry with everybody. But later I came to know that in the Catholic Church they take the bread, but they don't take the wine. Mm. I thought it was more personal, but I realized that that's how they do it. But uh, then... I, I really failed to live in Rwanda in 95. So in 96, I went back to Uganda. Mm-hmm. That's when I found my friends who helped me, who prayed for me. And one friend of mine gave me a scholarship to go to seminary, a full scholarship, uh, fully funded. And I went to the Uganda uh, Christian University mm. for three years. It's a well-known uh, university in in Kampala. Yeah. When I went there, I really didn't really go to study and, and be a pastor. I wanted to study and know who is this God? Mm. Does he have a personality? Does he care? What is, what is this thing they say it is his will? Was it his will that we die? Are we going to die again? I mean, I had all these things. Well, they helped me to know who God is, but again, they distracted me from the syllabus itself. They, I think I just 
did some of the things because I had to do them, but mm. I was interested to know who God is. But bottom down, I came out to know that God is, is the Almighty. Mm. We don't ask Him. We worship Him. We trust Him. Mm. And we obey Him. And when we do that, life makes sense. We get the freedom to live and to live a normal life. Mm. Uh, I can't explain the details, but I felt like God did something in my life that enabled me to love Christianity again and to take a decision to serve as a pastor full time. Mm. And I took a decision to serve and I came back to Rwanda. I told my archbishop, who was called Archbishop Colini, I said, I I think I want to be a pastor full time. He said, you're welcome. Mm. And then I was told to be an assistant pastor at the cathedral in 1999 in August. That's how I started my ministry. And I, I sincerely told them I started all these things, but I don't know how to do them. So just help me. And they helped me, and I've been there for the last 14 years. Wow. That's where I came from to come here. You've now come to Birmingham, Alabama. You are a student here at Beeson Divinity School, and you also are serving on the ministerial staff alongside our friends at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, uh, which is a wonderful congregation in partnership with Beeson and, and bringing you here and uh, this is just wonderful to have you in our midst, your your desire to learn and grow even deeper in your faith uh, with the idea of returning to Rwanda and serving uh, the cause of Christ there, however God will lead you in doing that. Now, you're an Anglican, and um, I wonder if you would say a little bit about that, because uh, particularly in Africa, uh, Anglicanism is a a thriving, um, dynamic Christian expression of faith. Uh, and it's very different, I think, from what we see in perhaps Western Europe, even England or America, North America. Say a little bit, if you will, about Anglicanism in Africa. Anglicanism in Africa, uh, well, particularly, let me say, in, in our region, let me say in East Africa, we are based on uh, most of the people who are in the church are people who are born again, and they received that message from uh, mainly the the revival that started in the 1930s. We are convinced that uh, salvation is personal, that you must know Christ and accept him and let him lead your life. That has helped many people to serve the Lord, the Lord alone. Mm. Despite all the challenges that we go through, we know who we are serving. Uh, and I think that connects us again to the tradition that is rooted into the Psalms and the, the, uh, the hymns and, and the word itself. And what makes the Anglican church really strong and unstable? I think that tradition, you know, these days many people are using contemporary songs, but I think the contemporary songs, they are like, fashion they come and they go and somebody else is on but the hymns have these words that seem to be stable that seem to be rooted in the bible and you just sing them and every day they are new 
And nobody is like, no, that is my song. I mean, these are songs that our brothers and sisters have given and they've gone on to be with the Lord. And those words that we sing every Sunday, plus the word of God, I think has helped the Anglican Church to stay strong, not to move on with the fashion and the winds that come. And we, we've been really blessed to have people like Archbishop Lowum who would stand mm. and say, this is wrong. Mm. I understand Archbishop Lowum was invited by, uh, by the President Idi Amin many times. That is a testimony we hear from the wife, the widow Mary. They were invited many times and intimidated. Until Mary, the wife, said, enough is enough. Why don't we just flee? Why don't we just run away? And Archbishop Lom said, no, I have a congregation. I have a people. We are not going to go away. We are going to pray and change this man. So it's in that period that he was killed. So people like Lom, the Uganda martyrs were killed for Christ back in uh in the 18s, these are all the seeds of this strong Christianity that is in this region. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian said that in the early church, and it's certainly been true in Africa. I think this, uh, this legacy of persecution, of suffering, of martyrdom that you're describing, uh, coming up to and including uh, Archbishop uh, Janani Luam, and even after his time, others who have given their lives for Christ in Africa. I think that gives a kind of serious cast to the Christian faith that maybe we are lacking here in the West, in North America and Western Europe. And the other thing it strikes me as really um, distinctive about African Anglican Christianity is the sense of the supernatural, that there is an evil power in the world uh, and that we are engaged in spiritual warfare in a way. It isn't just a, a mind game, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, Paul says. And I sense that, uh, that, that seriousness of engaging in, in spiritual warfare with the spiritual weapons of faith and prayer and, and the scriptures. These are really powerful, aren't they, in Anglican Christianity in Africa? Yes. I, I'll just, Go back a bit and give you an example of Rwanda. I mean, we had a revival. We had 95% Christians, people with Christian names. And they, I mean, they did the genocide that is the worst in this century. If it's not evil, what is it? Mm. I mean, these are people called Christians, and yet they do such a thing. But amazingly, right now, Rwanda is going through a renewal and you have thousands of prisoners who have accepted Christ, who have come out of prison and they have rebuilt the houses of the widows and some people can't believe what they did. I mean, you look at them and you're like, Lord, I don't understand this. For sure, there's a time when evil takes over but we still belong to the Lord at the end of the day. And the best place to see this is in Rwanda. Even back in Uganda, Uganda had terrible time. You had leaders like Amin who killed everybody. He didn't kill people personally alone, but even the people he had, 
the evil in the leader spreads into the people he's leading. And they, they do what he's doing. But finally, the Lord has raised them again. Uh, you would be happy to know this, that the 16th of February, every year in Uganda is going to be a national holiday for Janan Luwum. Ah, wonderful. That is a decision the president made this year. Yeah. There's a statue coming in Kampala. Uh, they haven't really located a place that it will be, but they're going to have a big statue of the Archbishop Janan Luwum in Kampala. And also to to remember all these people who died for that cause, which I really think it is something that is going to be, it is another renewal in Kampala and also a reminder to the leaders, you can't do something wrong and run away without having the accountability. So in the midst of great suffering and tragedy, um, destruction, there is also a renewal there's a revival. Uh, there is the work of hope that continues to go on. And you're a part of that, uh, uh, Samuel, the Reverend Samuel Mugisha. He's been my guest today on the Beeson podcast. Uh, he's a doctor of ministry student here at Beeson. He works with the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham from the country of Rwanda. And God bless you in your studies and your work here. And then as you prepare to return home to be an ambassador of reconciliation for Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.